Hi there. I'm Dan Jones. I'm your host. Welcome to the podcast. This is Climate Scientists, and here I have conversations with people whose work intersects with climate in some way. Thanks for joining us. I'm glad you're here. And uh, if this is the first episode you're turning into, a special welcome to you. And thanks to everybody else for returning. I'm in a good mood today. I'm a little late getting this out. I'm a little late recording this intro and outro and producing it, so thanks for your patience on that. But, uh, you know, yesterday was Saturday, 7 November 2020, and we got some good news yesterday. That's <laughs> some very good news. So I'm feeling optimistic, I'm feeling charged, I'm feeling positive. It's a good thing. This episode is part of our series on disabilities in the Earth System Sciences, where we talk with and get contributions from individual people who have disabilities, who are working in the geosciences, studying in the geosciences, and we basically give them an opportunity to tell us about their experience and to teach us a bit about not only their disability, but how it affects their life in science and what the broader scientific community could do to better support folks like them with that particular kind of disability. This series is co-produced by Dr. Caitlin Naughton. Uh, she's an oceanographer as well. I'm also an oceanographer. I don't think I mentioned that. That's my scientific background anyway. So big thanks to Dr. Naughton for bringing this idea to me. She's the one who came up with the idea to profile, to interview, talked with different people who have disabilities, who are working in the earth system sciences. So thank you again for, for that. It's great to work with you on this series. On this episode, we talk with Josh Breggy. Josh is a PhD candidate at Indiana University, Bloomington. He's researching paleo hurricanes, paleoclimatology, modern tropical cyclones, coastal geology. And he also has uh, ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is what that acronym stands for. And in just a couple of minutes, we're going to basically let Josh walk us through what that is, his experience with it. So that's coming up very soon. I won't be talking that much longer. If you want to find him on Twitter, he's at prehistormic, so not prehistoric, but prehistormic. So that's the word storm in the middle there. Thanks so much to to Josh for coming onto Zoom, for hopping onto Zoom and talking with both Caitlin and myself for this special series. Yeah, so I learned a lot talking with Josh. It was really useful for me. Uh, not that this is about me, it's not about me, but it was useful for me. Uh, so I'm appreciative. I'm uh, appreciative of that. So thank you again to Josh for being so open about ADHD and your experience with it. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into this conversation with Josh Breggy on ADHD. Here we go. meet you likewise how are you yeah i'm good how about yourself uh can't complain you know it's uh <laughs> yeah can't complain hi caitlin how's it going hello hi josh nice to meet you 
Likewise. Where are you? Uh, I am at uh, Indiana University uh, in Bloomington. So a little far from the ocean for my taste, but. What area are you studying or like what department are you in? Uh, so I'm doing a dual PhD in earth and atmospheric science and geography. Um, but I did my master's in geological oceanography, so trying to focus on paleoclimate, in particular prehistoric right. hurricanes. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for volunteering and for you know, agreeing to be on the podcast and to take part in the disability series. And Caitlin and I hope it's okay if I speak for Caitlin in this instance. Like we both really, really appreciate your contribution to this and for being being open and willing to talk about it. Oh, well, thank you so much for, for having me and um, and for doing the series and Caitlin for coming up with the series and, and everything. Um, it, it means a lot. It honestly does. So uh, I'm, really glad, I'm really glad to hear that. Would you like to tell us a little bit about your uh, disability, like how you, what is it and uh, a little bit about your experience of it? Sure, sure. Um, so I have ADHD, uh, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. I can never remember the acronym. Um, it also undergoes so many changes. It was ADD at one point, but I was diagnosed when I was in fourth grade, I want to say, fourth or fifth grade. I'm now well well out of fourth and fifth grade. So, um, nice job. And yeah, <laughs> I, I've, I've set that bar really high. So it's been something that uh, I've dealt with my entire life. Um, I've been medicated. I just found out like the other day, like Currently, my insurance does not accept or does not cover my ADHD medicine, which I'm not sure what happened between like August and, you know, this Wednesday. Um, So I'm working on it with my doctor. Oh, no, man. Yeah, like (laughs) always, always fun to uh, to do that right right in the middle of your dissertation. So, so uh, it's it's uh, it's not fun and it's not the the first time I've dealt with it with this with. The, uh, the university insurance. In fact, they had me switch from the generic to the brand because they were brand preferred and now they don't cover that for some reason. So. Oh my gosh. Can you go yeah. back to the generic or it's just they don't cover the generic either? I'm, uh, I'm attempting to have my doctor do a, um, a prior or a a prior assessment, I can't remember what, um, what it's called, a PA of some kind, prior authorization, that's the one. Hopefully get one of the two. I, I would just honestly like to feel uh, normal, if you will. So it's definitely been a challenge um, just throughout the years. You know, there there is the ADHD is really weird in that it's like it's a double-edged sword. Um, it has some, I, I would say, some strengths that come with it. You know, hyper-focus, for example. If, if I'm really into something, I can crank through a week's worth of work in like two days or so usually at the like the expense of like eating which should always always take precedent but um and i i'm fortunate that i have a partner that reminds me hey you need to eat <laughs> so but you know on on the the flip side if if i have no interest in it if it, it becomes a chore which i also hate doing chores <laughs> because it's it's just it's work you know that's that's why i went into research is because to me it's not supposed to be work it's supposed to be fun it's supposed to be a way to answer your questions basically keep me stimulated and whatnot it's it's a it's a weird it's a weird disorder to have for sure and you know also dealing with people that that say that don't basically don't believe that it exists that are really skeptical 
and say, hmm. oh, you just need to buckle down. I've tried, you know, <laughs> if, if these, these coping strategies worked for me, then I wouldn't, you know, need, um, you know, my medicine or anything like that. It's one of the disabilities that because it's not visible, because it's about your experience, it's a little bit, it's hard to convey to people like what your internal state is like, and they don't necessarily have any reference points for that, or their reference points might be totally off base. You know, you might try to describe to them, I'm imagining, you know, what some of your internal states or symptoms are like. And their reference points might just be totally wrong. They might say like, oh, well, yeah, sometimes I don't want to do chores either, which obviously it's more than that. You know, it's more than just like not wanting to do something. It's like, uh, I mean, I, I would rather hear you describe it and you talk about it instead of me trying to, you know, to put to put words there. But, but does that sound familiar? Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, 100%. Like it's, it's, it's as if in, in a lot of cases, people have the highway. They have to take the highway to get to from point A to point B. And for some reason, I took the exit that then has me driving through a marsh. I, I have no idea how I got there, uh, but it's going to be a long way uh, back to the highway. Um, it's, it's, it's a challenge. It really is. And, um, and I, I think the marsh is a terrible example because I actually do love like trialing through marshes. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's... I think it still illustrates the point that like, it's just, it's a different route. If I'm not interested, it's, it is, it's a, it's a challenge. It is a chore um, in, in the full sense of the word. When did, uh, when did you get diagnosed? I mean, you said fourth, fifth grade, right? So what were some of your early experiences with it? Um, I was, well, before I was diagnosed, I was um, not the best student. (laughs) I suppose some of that could be chalked up to, being a kid. Honestly, at the time, it was dinosaurs. Dinosaurs were, were my thing. Um, it, two plus two equaled a dinosaur. And so, and I'm not, I'm not even joking. Like that was actually an answer that I gave. Um, so, uh, like, I hope you get to save that mind. test. It'd be great to frame that, have it on the wall. It's like, look. I, I'm very proud of it. So I'm happy where I ended up. Um, when I, when I was diagnosed, I was, and, and actually medicated, I was able to actually sit and, and listen and understand what was going on. I don't, I don't know if they have this in the UK. Um, but you know, they, they have this uh, program gifted and talented, um, in elementary school. And so I was in that only because like it, it held my attention. It was, it was interesting. We were able to express our creativity, um, talk about, interesting stuff that was not talk, uh, talked about or discussed in the curriculum. We did quiz bowl, which was something that I was always into because, mm. you know, on the edge of your seat, ready to answer a question. Um, I mean, Jeopardy is, is, I don't know. It's like, it's a, it's a godsend to me. <laughs> so, cause yeah. it's, it's stimulating. It's stimulating. It captures my attention. That's one of the things is with ADHD is if it catches your attention, if you like it, then I say I, I'm using like very loosely, but if it if it basically catches your attention, then you can do it for sure um, hmm. because it's it's essentially a reward system for you. Yeah, that's that's how I would describe it. <laughs> yeah, hmm. There's definitely some some comorbidity that that comes with it. You know, it, it's not uncommon for somebody that has ADHD to um, also have like an anxiety disorder or depression. Um, you know, so there is overlap between a lot of these um, neurodiverse. Um, diagnoses, if you will. And I can't think of a really elegant way to um, 
ask this, but one of the nice the questions that Caitlin came up with is she talks about the experience of kind of coming out as a disabled person of kind of saying, okay, I'm going to to come to terms with this and present it to the world, right? Like it's with some disabilities, you don't have any choice. If you're going to engage with the world, it's going to be obvious. With others, you can try to hide them. So I guess what I'm hearing in your story, and certainly by contacting us, is you're saying that you decided to, to own it and to say, yep, this is a part of my experience. Um, you know, it's a kind of kind of coming out of, of that. Is that something you've done for, for a while? Have you been kind of uh, sharing or vocal about it in the past? Um, you know, I, I've become uh, increasingly vocal about it. Uh, it wasn't... It wasn't something I, I talked about growing up, um, except with just the people that I, where I went for high school. So I, I went to a, um, this is gonna sound weird, it was, it was a public boarding school um, for math and science and uh, for the last two years of high school. And so I you know, talked with the nurse and the faculty there um, about uh, taking my medicine and whatnot. Um, so they knew, uh, and then my friends were also in the know, if you will, um, but for the most part, I just kept it on the down low. You could tell <laughs> oftentimes when I when I was not medicated. You know, some people would actually say, oh, we actually like it when you're when you're not medicated, which I, I don't recommend saying. Um, I, I prefer I prefer to be medicated personally. No. So <laughs> it's um, not your choice. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, so yeah. it's like telling an artist, um, you know, it's like telling an artist like, oh, we liked you better when you were on drugs. Like, that's a horrible thing to say. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. So. Um, yeah. So. But I, I have become increasingly more vocal about it. Part of it is that I don't I don't want to go to the university. Um, for the disability services, that's not a knock on, on them or anything, um, but it's just something that I, for some reason, am not comfortable with. I've never been comfortable with that. I'm more than happy to accommodate, for sure, um, with, like when I'm teaching and everything. For me, it, it just doesn't click. If something's coming up, like when, when I don't have my medicine and I am taking a course, um, you know, I, I'm upfront with my professors, because obviously in grad school, it's a little bit different um, than undergrad, where you're almost fed through the system, whereas in grad school, there's a lot more flexibility. At least from, from my end, professors have been understanding because it's, it's, not, it's not gonna be a walk in the park. And so um, mm -hmm. I, that's, that's been a stimulus, I suppose, to kind of, uh, or, or a catalyst to kind of be more vocal about it. And then you know, I've, I've become more vocal about it on Twitter um, and Facebook, but I steered clear of Facebook. Yeah. Can you say more about, you said that the using the accommodations and things didn't click for you. And I think that's, that's really interesting because part of what we often like to talk about is, you know, what kind of accommodations can your colleagues and can institutes provide for you? I guess some examples of those that, that I'm familiar with, maybe this is more relevant to undergrads and things and where you're taking a lot of, of tests where you might need like extra time or a, a particular configuration in, of a room, a particular type of, type of room, like a quiet room to be able to focus in or something or a room where you're allowed to, you know, use some, some white noise or something. I'm just making up random examples. So are there, it sounds like the way that you've approached the accommodation has more been on individual, like a professor by professor level. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but as you move into uh, further into your uh, research career, 
are there things that you can, are there things that your colleagues can do to help you, things that are helpful to accommodate for your particular, for ADHD? You know, that's a, that's a really good question that I honestly have never thought about um, beyond like the classroom. I think probably the number one thing is just uh, have, have a, a dialogue going um, just to be aware of what's going on. Um, and if, if need be to be able to, uh, for lack of better terms, pick up, pick up the slack for me, if, you know, I'm, I'm going through, well, like right now where I don't have my medicine um, and mm-hmm. to, to be understanding, obviously, whenever there's a, a grant deadline, you know, that, uh, that needs to get done. And that's one of the, actually, I, for, for, again, for lack of a better term, one of the hacks of ADHD is that if, if you're under, under, like under the gun, basically, uh, you can crank out something if need be. I, between the, the three of us, and I guess whoever listens to the podcast as well, uh, but I wrote the bulk of my master's in a week. So yeah. <laughs> when I was like under the gun, so um, oh, don't recommend it. Uh, but yeah, so. Can, um, but, can be done if necessary. Yeah, exactly. And I am, uh, I'm, I'm trying not to do that for, for my dissertation, which is why I'm so fortunate mm-hmm. to have gotten the fellowship to just basically spend all my time writing rather than having to teach or anything. Um, Congrats on that. Congratulations. Thank you very, so very much. Was, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Caitlin, we've been talking about it. wanted to give you a chance. Is there anything you'd like to react to in what we said so far? I had a few questions. Um, one was, um, I don't have any experience with ADHD, and I was wondering if if it's something which is like a spectrum, or if it's sort of you have it or you don't. Yeah, yeah. So there are um, there's different types of ADHD. Okay. Um, you can be primarily um, hyperactive. You can be primarily inattentive. You can be a combination of it. Um, I tend to be primarily inattentive. There are moments where it can be hyperactivity. And so I will usually kind of deal with that by fiddling with something. I usually always have like a pen with me. And so if I, I'm not in a place where I can run around, which um, the the quarantine stuff has been mm. fantastic for ADHD, but uh <laughs> Uh, but I'll often, and it, it it understandably drives my partner crazy, but I'll just sit there and kind of click my pen in my pocket, but it kind of keeps me doing something. So um, so there are different types. Um, there's different severity uh, levels, I guess you could say. You know, some, could, some have very mild ADHD, others have severe ADHD. Um, I would say that I'd lean on the more severe side of, of the spectrum, if you will. Um, because I'm, I'm also on a very high dosage of medication. If somebody that didn't have ADHD took some, uh, it would knock them out. Right. Um, they, their entire day would just be thrown off. So, um, yeah, so there are spec, there's definitely a spectrum, um, and then types of ADHD as well, for sure. All right. Well, that's interesting. The other thing I was wondering was what, you think of the concept of um, neurodiversity. Is that something that you like relate to? Um, yeah, actually, I, I 
I really like it because it, I guess we all have this like sense of wanting to belong to something. I, I really felt that the concept of neurodiversity kind of helped put a label on it more than just ADHD. Like, oh, well, you know, you have ADHD. Okay, well, that's, that's you and, and your group of people. But, you know, knowing that um, these, these disorders are pretty fluid in a lot of cases. And so somebody that may primarily have depression may also have ADHD or bipolar disorder and have ADHD. It, it helps in my, at least in my mind, um, draw connections with people um, mm -hmm. that can often be um, difficult just to begin with. Because uh, just knowing that you have that, like something in common, um, just being neurodiverse in itself is a, is a good way to just kind of find a, a community out there that um, can be can be very very useful for relying on if you're in in your lows for an example mm -hmm. um, and so i i'm very much in favor of um the the concept of, of neurodiverse i think it just adds to the the, the beauty of, of the world as well mm -hmm. honestly so and not to sound like a hippie or anything no, no. but you know no, please that's that's what very I truly welcome. believe that's very that's very welcome here yeah i'm very very happy <laughs> This is a, a safe, safe place to say things like that for sure. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 very nice, I think, especially growing up in the South. We don't we didn't, we just we just don't talk about that stuff. Mm. And so um, where'd, you, it's, where'd you grow it's, up? Uh, so Arkansas. Okay, the, yeah, the great the great state of Arkansas. <laughs> yeah, I do yeah. really uh, like what you said about communities so i really found that um the first time i uh spoke with um other people that stammered which wasn't until i was i think 25 or even uh um 26 and i think that was like the the first time i fully acknowledged and internalized that that this is just a neurological condition this isn't some failing of of my character or something this isn't my fault it's just the way my brain is exactly yeah 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 that's right and if if it's okay for me to pick up from there is that all right if i pick up from there because that that connects really nicely with two different things we could talk about here um one is the idea of representation the idea that having you know good representation of people with a wide spectrum like a neurodiverse representation uh that that's really important for for building community because it makes it a little bit easier if you have some of those individuals you can point to and say, oh, look, you know, we, here's an example of a person with an ADHD uh, in this career field. And oh, look, here's a person with a, a stammer who's working in this field. Um, it just gives you those little like reference points. You can kind of start to tie communities uh, around a little bit. You don't, you don't have to start your communities that way, obviously, but it, it does help. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure. I guess I don't have a great sense of, the level of representation of ADHD, but certainly being open like yourself, I think that that helps, right? Because now you, you can become a representative. You are now, you're a, you know, very advanced grad student, you know, in your field with ADHD. So you're, mm -hmm. you're doing it. You're doing the work. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's true. Yeah, it's and you know it's it's something that you know as you said, Caitlin, the coming to terms that like it's not it's not your fault. Like this is just how you're hardwired. That's just how it's going to be, and just kind of making the best of the situation. And I guess put it in uh, really really basic terms: do you? So, because uh, that's another thing with, with ADHD is rejection-sensitive dys, uh, dysphoria. It's basically that um, you, the slightest criticism can make it seem like you have failed entirely. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of, um, it, you know, acknowledging that this is not your fault, um, not feeding into that rejection-sensitive dysphoria is super critical um, for really just the field, as a, 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 like, altogether. Um, and so, and I'm at a loss, loss for words. Sorry. Um, you know, that's a good reason to be careful with how you write reviews of things, for example, like be sensitive with how you write reviews. Like there's absolutely no need to, you know, to, to embellish your language, you know, just give me the facts, you know, be straight with it. Uh, don't be nasty. Um, you know, we, we received kind of a, uh, we had, a one of our reviewers on a recent paper um, really was unnecessarily like nasty, just really using terms that um, they could have said the same thing without being so negative. And I thought it was really unfortunate that they decided to be so negative in, uh, in the way, in the way they chose to describe the, the work. Oh, definitely. It was clear that they were just like frustrated. They were just having a bad day or something mm-hmm. and that they were just frustrated and taking it out on us. So a reviewer too is not adding love to the world <laughs> along those neurodiverse lines that some of our brains might be so sensitive to criticism that we really should be careful. And there's, there's absolutely no need to be you know, negative. You can say what you need to, like you can say what you think should be changed about a paper or what should be improved about a paper and, but just be straight with it and, uh, yeah. and, and the, be kind is all I'm really yep. trying to say. The, the other thing I wanted to react to, is Caitlin and I talked about the medical model versus the social model of disability. I think it ties nicely into what you both were saying about understanding that it's just neurodiversity, that it's not your fault, it's not a failure of yours. Uh, So in the the medical model, uh, as Caitlin has explained it to me, she's the one who introduced me to this, this idea, so she can tell you if I say it wrong. The medical model puts all of the emphasis and responsibility on the person with the disability. So it it's perceived under that model as, well, now it's your job to just fight like hell against, you know, your disability and the conditions that you find yourself in to uh, catch up with everybody else, whatever that means exactly. Um, and it's not a very compassionate worldview. It's basically just like, oh, well, let's, uh, we'll try to treat this condition. We'll try to you know, use medication and things. Medication can be crucial. I'm not putting down medication, but um, all of that responsibility is put on the individual. Whereas the social model says, um, you know, if we, as a society, try to remove some of these effort barriers, that we try to lower some of these effort barriers, if we recognize that some people uh, are configured differently, mm-hmm. and if we want better inclusion, we're going to need to think more generally about um, our social spaces, our work spaces, the way we relate to each other, the way we write grants and the way we have grant deadlines for, for example, like we just need to think about these things uh, and other accommodations need to be made out in society because of that, of that diversity. And as a result, you get more participation so that the medical model sort of is more along the, it's an older 
I guess, way of thinking in terms of just putting all that responsibility and possibly guilt and shame onto the individual with the disabilities, whereas the social model recognizes that if you view this with some compassion and some understanding, you can say, this is something that will we'll overall have a better society if we make it more accessible and make the space for people to participate in. And uh, Kaylin, I noticed you un- unmuted. Did you want to add on to there? Yeah, I, I suppose I could just su- summarize that by saying the medical model really relies on the idea of there being one like stand standard set of abilities which everybody must achieve. Um, whereas the so- social model allows for that diversity instead of saying everybody has to to assimilate in the way that they work and speak and think and everything else. 100%. I mean, that's why I went into research, just so I don't have to assimilate. So... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And it's, in my view, I think that kind of more general thinking would be better, not just from a disability inclusion perspective, but just from a recognition that people are different and configured differently. And, you know, the the kind of structures and motivation that work nicely for one person won't necessarily work for another person. You talked about this a little bit already, uh, Josh, but one of the questions that Caitlin put together is, what are some good things about your disability? You, you mentioned the hyperfocus. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else along those lines that you've noticed? Hyperfocus is probably the the biggest one, at least for me. Everybody says I'm fun. I I don't I don't know if that's a, a side effect of ADHD or not. You seem uh, fun. <laughs> so if, if you yeah. know if it is, then I'm 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 happy. I'm happy to have that. Um, yeah, I I don't really know. Um, hyperfocus is probably the biggest one um, for me, at least. And I I think it's just everybody's so. With, with ADHD, with really with a lot of these, these neurodiverse diagnoses, it's so individualized. So um, for me, at least, hyperfocus is, is, is the one. Um, and then my partner says that I have like sitcom wit. So, so which like, that might be a side effect. I have no idea, honestly. So like um, short, like, like punchy, like short, punchy, like, you know, you can come back with it. Yeah. Exactly. I, I could not do stand-up comedy at all. Um, I, it would be uh, abysmal. But, um, you know, if, if for some reason my life were turned into a sitcom, I think it could work out. Um, that's been the running joke in my family is that we're, we would be a fantastic sitcom. Um, there must so. be a laugh track app on a phone or something that must <laughs> exist. You can just right? you know, wait for the right time. <laughs> right? If you want to be a 90s. Fantastic. <laughs> If you want to be like a 90s or an 80s sitcom, for example, then like... That's a good point, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, hyperfocus is probably the biggest one, I'd say, for, for me at least. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there are definitely some drawbacks to that even. Um, like, like I said, uh, I will... It, it's not uncommon for me if, if I'm, you know, say I'm writing a paper... Um, I'll get home and I'll be like, oh, I'm incredibly hungry. And my partner will ask, oh, did you, did you eat today? 
like, oh, I had yogurt for breakfast. Um, <laughs> I, I brought lunch, but I didn't actually eat lunch. So I guess I have lunch for tomorrow. Um, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So, so yeah. this is a, this is a leading question, by the way. Another one of the things that Caitlin and I talked about as a possible uh, a good thing about a disability um, is that uh, it can potentially give you better empathy and better skills at imagining things from a different perspective uh, because you know you've had to live in a way that maybe there isn't already a ready-made kind of channel for oh well you go down this slope because we already carved out a channel for the way that you operate in the world does that resonate with you the idea of like giving you a little bit more empathy and imagining things from different perspectives yeah so yeah that's a good that's a really good point so i i have admittedly and i've talked with a psychologist with this and it's it's been okayed um i have a difficult time actually empathizing and Mm -hmm. because for me i i cannot logically place myself in in um their shoes because i've I've just never experienced it um i can sympathize all day like that's that is that is fine Mm -hmm. um but uh with with my students um well when i when i did teach i was incredibly flexible with them you know if something was going i honestly always just give them the benefit of the doubt um because they it's not up to them to like disclose say a family issue that's going on um or if they have a medical issue like that's fine i that's that's not my business i will i will give you extra time um i will um you know you can come to my office hours and we can work through this together um, I will set up a Zoom call. So, um, so yeah, I, I I agree with that statement entirely. That um, it it has made it where I can kind of I've started to be able, I guess, to look at things from a different perspective, just through my own experiences. And so, I guess I'm I guess I'm getting better at empathizing. So, which is always a good thing. Um, uh, no, that's a, that's a really good that's a really good point. And I hadn't thought of that, but you know, just kind of quickly reflecting back on um, teaching. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. That checks out for sure. So, wow, Caitlin, is that's really there cool. Anything else you wanted to? It is cool. Yeah, I I, uh, I was really glad that Caitlin you know taught me about that particular concept. So, Caitlin, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I don't think so. Yeah, it's all right. How about you, Josh? Anything else you want to cover? Nothing. Nothing in, in particular that comes to mind. Um, I suppose like some do's and don'ts. Um, yeah. Don't. Don't ask, you know, uh, oh, did you take your medicine today? Uh, that's, a, that's a big no. Um, and that mm. I, I don't, I often don't like, I won't express it, but it drives me up a wall. Yeah. I absolutely hate it when people ask, oh, did you take your medicine today? Um, mm. Or when, when they, I, I have been asked for my medicine as well. Um, mm. Because uh, the unfortunate thing is the, the medicine it's a stimulant. It is a Schedule II substance here in the United States, um, which means it's one below uh, drugs like marijuana and the sort. So it has some medical use, but has the high potential for abuse. And so it's heavily regulated. There's a lot of red tape. Um, and that's because there is a lot of abuse um, that goes on. Um, and it's uh so you know i guess living in college towns for oh man i guess now over 10 years <laughs> oh, this, that's a that's a wake-up call that has i i've been asked numerous times 
you know, oh, hey, could, could I buy some medicine off of you? And I'm like, right, no, right. I, I need this like to, to function. Actually, because it's, it's abused so heavily here, I get drug tested by my doctor um, mm. to make sure I'm taking my medicine. Oh, it didn't wow. help that when I was drug tested last, they tested me at uh, an order of magnitude or higher uh, of, uh, in terms of concentration than what it would normally be at. So they thought I was not using my medicine and they were like, well, we're not giving it to you again. Oh, and so gosh. I had them actually test me again um, and they had to test me two more times um, until they realized that, oh, we were looking at it at a much higher concentration than it should have been. Um, but, you know, they just oh assumed gosh. that I was selling my medicine to the undergrads um, here. I, I so, hate that that's the first, um, like, yeah, the, their so it's, first it's, assumption. It's, it's a challenge. It, it really is. And it's um, stressful is, is, I don't think that that covers it uh, completely. Um, just dealing with the, basically the bureaucracy of, of, of um, ADHD medicine. Yeah. So I, I was just imagining like if somebody asks you, have you taken your medication? It's uh, might feel very patronizing, might feel like, you know, well, it's not, it's not that other person's job to manage your, <laughs> to manage your life. And it feels a bit like they're exactly um, you know, p- putting you down a better. Um, so that does sound like kind of a nightmare to deal with the, having to get tested to even get your own medication and then having to convince doctors to give it to you. I mean, it seems very heavy handed to me. Um, and then I, I hate that their first assumption was, Oh, this person's uh, doing something illegal as opposed to let's make sure we did our test correctly. It's so obnoxious. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I mean, especially since I've been taking it every, well, almost every day um, since I was in fourth or fifth grade um, before 11 AM, like, yeah, I mean, I, I just mm. I've been following the rules, so I have no reason to abuse this medicine. It is it is very patronizing, and um, and you know, I mean, the thing is, like, because it's scheduled to, I also have to every month request a refill, every and then every month. three months go in for a checkup. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, whereas all my other medicine um, for um, like Raynaud syndrome, which Basically, I, it's a circulation thing where I, I hurt like a lot when I get cold. Mm. Um, so we're proud to the both of y'all for being able to do uh, Antarctic research in the sort and Arctic research. And all I'm not a field scientist. research. <laughs> I'm a modeler. I have a warm job. <laughs> yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. So um, <laughs> all of that I can get in like a 90-day supply or so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, sorry we didn't. We kind of ran out of time to talk about Reynolds syndrome and, and migraines because um, I know oh, no you worries, mentioned no worries. talking about those as, as well but yeah I'm afraid I've, I've got to go before too long we can I mean if you wanted to we could have another chat about those um, or if you wanted to keep this ADHD focused that's okay too I'll, I'll leave that up to you um, and you don't have to decide um, right this second one works yeah okay <laughs> yeah uh, I mean so, I could quickly about Reynolds is that and that's why I work with tropical cyclones is because it's warm. I mean, they're prehistoric, <laughs> prehistoric tropical cyclones, but you know, it's still warm. So that would be really cool to talk about. Like, um, but maybe we should save that for a science episode. That's really tempting to ask you about the science of that. But so how about, sure. do we want to just talk about migraines real quick? Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's fine by me. Um, 
migraines are they are the worst <laughs> to be perfectly honest definitely uh, and i feel the worst <laughs> yeah like i i feel terrible but wasting i've wasted so much water but i you know sometimes when medicine doesn't work i've just sat in the shower in the dark um mm. and i i i it kills me as as a climate scientist to to mm. just be wasting so much water but um but uh, i i was diagnosed with migraines in sixth grade, I take a preventative medicine, um, amitriptyline, uh, every day. Um, and if I get a migraine, I start off with ibuprofen, but then if that doesn't work, I switch to uh, the generic form of Maxalt, which is an as needed um, medicine that tastes horrible. You have to let it dissolve on your tongue and it tastes like bad peppermint. <laughs> so um, if I can, I will avoid using it. But um, yeah, it's in yeah. in some cases I it, I've gotten to where I've just sucked it up basically with with migraines. But other times it's it's debilitating. Like I've gotten migraines while I'm sleeping, and mm. um and that's that's been a fun thing to deal with just to wake up. And when I when I do that, like I'll just go ahead and take the Maxalt because I want to get back to sleep. So. Yeah, they're they're brutal, right? I mean, a headache does not describe it. That's part of it, but it's um, it's something that can just shut you down. I mean, there's exactly. no there's no at some point there's no pushing through it. There's no just gritting your teeth. Like, no, no, you're going down. You're like, you're not, this well, it, is not okay. And sometimes gritting your teeth just makes it worse. So, because then no. you get that tension <laughs> headache that builds up. One of those things where it's an example of a hard limit. You know, and it's, it forces you to reconcile with the existence of hard limits, which I feel like um, sometimes people who maybe don't experience things like migraines or maybe don't have other kind of caring responsibilities, you know, caring for other other people, it, they're maybe not as familiar with hard limits and they're used to just being able to push their bodies as hard as they possibly can. But, um, you yeah, know, when you have some disabilities and certainly when you have migraines, it introduces you to hitting the wall and you have to learn that humility of no, sometimes my body's not going to do what I want it to do. Exactly. And my partner, she, she's, she always says that she's such a baby with headaches. Um, so she doesn't know how, how I do it with migraines. And, and I was just like, honestly, you, you just kind of, I mean, medicine, you just kind of get used to it to a degree. Um, but at other times you just shut down um, altogether. She shuts down when she, whenever she just gets a headache, um, which mm. I, I'm very sympathetic because I'm uh, toward that and everything, and I'll I'll do whatever it takes to to make her feel better. But um, you know, it it's still it's it's still pain. Like pain is pain, and I guess there's there's always an individual interpretation to pain. But um, uh, I agree that it definitely definitely shows you where that wall is, um, mm -hmm. and 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 whatnot. So it's a good way of putting it for sure. I uh, I was trying to think of how to ask Caitlin's are there are there good things about a disability when it comes to migraines? Are there that good things about hard. migraines? <laughs> are there good things uh, about migraines? <laughs> I guess I can like get out of things so <laughs> if need be. Um, I would say that uh, the the benefits um, are far and few between yeah, uh, between so um, and that the yeah. the drawbacks uh, definitely outweigh the benefits if there really are any benefits um, it's possible. I'm, I'm only hypothesizing and you you would know a thousand times better than me but it's possible that when you say migraine to somebody in that case the the extrapolation 
might be kind of not totally off the mark. You know, you tell them like, well, imagine a headache, but way, way, way worse. That at least gives them a starting point for like, oh gosh. And then they can imagine like, yeah, that would shut me down. Whereas, um, you know, something like ADHD, it might be a little harder for them to do that same reasoning to recognize it as a, as a hard limit. Exactly. Um, It's it's like there's a tangible experience essentially Mm. that they can go off of. Um, yeah which so i don't know if that's a good thing but it's uh yeah it might not be a good thing exactly but it you probably don't run into as much stigma about it you know people can get it a bit more exactly Mm. well and and, you know the other thing with with it is that people often are like oh yeah like my aunt had migraines and everything so I, i i get it like um so there's there's a lot more interconnectivity if you will um between people in migraines i'd say um, just because, or at least open interconnectivity, if you will, um, just because, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, they're not, they're not uncommon. They really aren't. Um, at least, well, I, I shouldn't say that, uh, from my, from my experience, they don't seem like they're uncommon, but mind you, they one run in my family. So, um, so yeah, we'll, uh, but yeah, I, I, I would, I agree entirely that I think that's, it's, it's a much more tangible, um, or at least conceptually tangible disorder, if you will. It, well, how, how do you both feel? Are you both okay to wrap up I think at the so. moment? Is, would that be all right? Yeah. yeah, I'm okay to wrap up. Okay. Well, Josh, thanks so much again for oh, no, thank sharing you. with us. Nice to meet you virtually. Likewise. Yeah. Nice to meet you, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. And it would it be cool to, to meet y'all. Oh, thanks. Yeah, and it would be good to hear about. Um, paleo hurricanes at some point that would be yeah that would be cool to hear about because yeah, i guess well, uh different configurations I've, right different land land uh configurations and different climate conditions mm. can give you different uh tropical cyclones and we don't uh you know in modern day climate we don't get to explore that parameter space exactly so you have to go exactly yeah so i'm i'd be happy to talk with y'all about that uh on a, on a later date for sure yeah um so i'm you know, as, as a teaser, I suppose, I'm, I'm working up a 500-year reconstruction of tropical cyclone rainfall amounts um, oh. using tree rings that also include um, wood from some unmarked wooden coffins. So, wow. Yeah. So, so. Wow. Okay. That's a great, great teaser. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm always impressed by people who do paleo because... Um, it's not for the it's not for the faint of heart. You have to be comfortable with error bars. You can't be freaked out by error bars. Like oh, in, bo- yeah. in both directions. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I work with sediment and tree rings, so the error bars get really weird. So Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. well I I'm I'll I'll admit I'm very impressed with modelers. Um that is something that I just do not have a, a knack for. Um I wish I did. I really wish I did. I feel like it would be my life would be so much, or the paleo side would be so much easier if I could just model some of these things. So Dave, Dave Monday at Bass does some paleo modeling, paleo oceanography mm-hmm. kind of modeling. So he might oh, be really? a good person to talk to. Mm-hmm. I don't think he doesn't do like, he doesn't put tropical cyclones in there as far as I know, but he's, he does a lot of cool paleo oceanography. Like, um, let's move Tasmania and Australia around and see what happens to the <laughs> Antarctic circumpolar current and different, yeah. well, that's different really cool. eras. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really fun stuff. Uh, yeah. Thanks again, Josh. And thank you again, Caitlin, for putting the series together and for joining us. This was, thank you so really, much. This was really good. Thank you both. 
Wonderful. Well, thanks again. It was great to meet y'all. Great to meet you too. Take care. Bye. Bye. There you have it. My conversation with Josh Breggy from Indiana University Bloomington. You can find Josh at Prehistoric on Twitter. You can follow the podcast at Climate SciPod. And you can follow me at Dan Jones Ocean. You can find Caitlin Naughton at Caitlin Naughton on Twitter as well. Checking in. I'm checking in with you. How am I doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm in a good mood. I'm like genuinely feeling lighter, feeling more positive. Uh, obviously, electing one person into office doesn't fix everything. There's still lots of challenges ahead. But from the perspective of somebody who cares about climate, who wants to see climate policy put into action, who wants to see a plan, who wants to see humanity do something about climate change, uh, the results of this weekend's election, uh, putting uh, somebody who ran explicitly on climate, who had climate as part of their major platform, putting them into the White House in the States, that's an excellent development. And I'm just going to let myself celebrate that. I know that there's going to be difficulties. I know it's going to you know, get hard at some point, but right now it's okay. We can celebrate. We can take a little time to be thankful that this has happened. I'm uh, feeling good. Yeah, I hope you're doing all right. Take care. Bye-bye.